And so I know that as I breathe in and breathe out, as common as my breath, there is one power, one presence, one life. And that this power and presence extends infinitely outward and inward. It is inescapable. It is beautiful, intelligent, joy-filled, and I am in it. I can't escape the wise and glorious expression of the one around me, in me, and through me. And so I invite you to take these words as your own if you choose, knowing that this light and power of the one is the light that guides me in and through all activity. That I am supported and lifted up to this highest wisdom and expression of life in all my activities. The way is clear and I trust. Knowing that as I take each step Light shows the way for the next. And I arrive deeper and deeper to that place I call home, which is me and my connection to the beloved. And I am so grateful that this path is one of ease and joy and celebration. I'm so grateful to be here in a community surrounded by the love and light that lifts me up and encourages me to go forward in faith. And I'm so grateful for the power of my words that are reflected back to me by a law that always says yes and so courageously I surrender and I let go to this law. I let this power and presence move through me and all my activities, and together we say, and so it is. Oh, welcome. Just grab my notes here. So I came all the way from Campbell River, and it's lovely to see you here today. Okay, this is good. Let's start with applaud. <laughs> oh. Well, I have to just, you know, today is about vulnerability, so I, you have to know I'm doing a first. It's the first time I've told a talk twice in a row. So there you go. You get to be witness of me being totally vulnerable and stepping into something I've never done before. Right on, okay? So be gentle. <laughs> You're already wonderful. I have a story to tell you. About four years ago, my sister, she was desperately um, suffering. And uh, she lived on Gabriola Island at the time, and she gave me a call. And she was, she was having such difficult times that she was in such anxiety and fear that she couldn't drive even. And I just lived uh, a few islands away. And so I um, boated my way down there and joined her on Gabriola Island where um, I drove her to the doctor's office. And she was terrified. Um, before we got there, she had opened her heart up to me and shared a bunch of details about her life that I, I didn't really know. Um, 
I knew some, but she gave me the details. And so when we showed up at the doctor's office, um, we were sitting there, and I was sort of the third party, and he was directly talking to her. And she would tell a little bit of the story. You know how it is when you're at the doctor's, you don't give them the full story, right? So she's giving him a little bit of the story, and I'm like, no, but there's more. And I kept giving the, but he wouldn't look at me. He wouldn't include me in the conversation, and, and I felt a little left out. And, but that was okay, because they continued on having this conversation. Now, you need to know my sister. She's a perfectionist. In fact, one of the things that she did that's absolutely beautiful is she built a home on Gabriola Island, and she doesn't own it anymore, but she literally, and I say literally, built it with her own hands. She designed it. It's a straw bale and clay inlay home, and it's just absolutely gorgeous. It's this little gnome thing. So she's a person of power and presence. She's got flaming red hair, and she's far more stage presence than I do. But here she is. Right? In, the, in the doctor's office. So at surface, my sister's life looks like it's together. Nobody would ever assume that there was a problem. But as she continued to speak to the doctor, and he knew her fairly well, finally I said, this is her version of a cry out for help. And something within him woke up and he turned to me and he went, I got it. And we, we both realized together that she was suffering far greater than what appeared on the surface. And shortly after that, um, she willingly, I took her to the treatment center over in Nanaimo. Well, the cool part about this, for me, was that when you go to this treatment, send somebody to this treatment, send somebody to this treatment center, I got to attend a five-day program workshop with with this. And it was for all the codependents of families and friends who um, might need some help supporting or dealing with this challenge. So you can just imagine, so there I am, there's a room full of 20 codependents, and we're all sitting there, you know, well put together, you know, nothing's wrong with me, types. And of course, I'm very stoic in there because I'm a minister, right? I've done all the work. I've been to all the workshops. I've done all the training. I've gone through the valley of the darkness. I'm cool. I got it made, right? So I enjoy sitting there in my little high chair thinking that everything is cool with me and I'm just going to learn a couple of tips I might take home and share with the congregation when I get there. Well... Little did I know that I had much more to learn than met the eye. And at the end of the day, they broke that story down, and within three days, I was a wreck. It was crazy. I was like on the floor as a big puddle. And in fact, I got this opportunity, you know, to pass in the hallways because we ate meals in the same um, cafeteria as the people that were in the program, the bigger program. And we're not allowed to talk to them, right? But every time I saw my sister, we'd just pass little notes back and forth. And uh, I'm a little bit of a rebel. And, and I was just like, this is hell. And I get a note back from her. And she goes, you think it's hell for you. Try my side, right? So anyway, what did they do to me? You know, here I am, this strong, put-together person. And I was a mess. Well, it wasn't until I started studying Brene Brown's work that I started to get a little bit of a picture into what went on, what went wrong, what happened. Brene studied vulnerability for six years and uh, intensely into investigating thousands of stories. 
She looked into um, pieces of data, focus groups. She wrote a book. She came up with a theory. Six years. And at the end of the day, she learned one very important thing. That vulnerability is absolutely essential to wholehearted living. Well, let me tell you another story. So about five years ago, before I went to this program, I was in front of a panel of three esteemed peers, like Dr. Patrick, but he wasn't there. We won't blame him. By the way, they're not here today. We can fool around. <laughs> if you think of something fun to do, tell me. Anyway, um, so there's these three ministers, and they're, they're there in their chairs, and, and you walk in. And so what happens with the ordained process here at Centers for Spiritual Living, you go through... Um, rigorous studies, probably, if you did it all in a row, it takes about six years, and then you end up as a licensed minister, and you have a sponsor. And you don't become ordained until you've put time in the field and proved your capability and your devotion to the calling, to the ministry. And at that time, at, at, at some time, somebody decides you're ready to be ordained, and they put you in front of a panel who then questions you. Well, you need to know, right? You're getting an idea that I'm pretty, I'm pretty, um, hold a pretty high expectation for myself. I, I'm one of those um, high performers. I, whenever I do something, I do it better than everybody, if possible. Um, in fact, I'll tell you a little story. It really didn't work for getting boyfriends when I was younger, but I had this attraction to my dad, and I wanted his his uh, approval. And so when I would go to parties when I was a teenager, all the guys would be on the diving board doing flips, and they really didn't like it that I outdid them. You know, so some places it worked, but on that forum it didn't work, and I didn't have a boyfriend. But that's okay, because who wants to date a girl that can do more flips off a diving board? Anyway, just to give you a little insight to my character, it is about vulnerability, right? Right. Okay, so there they are. And I'm, I'm cool as a cucumber. I've been working in the field for five, six years. I've published a magazine. I've been editor of it for four years. I had a TV show. I had a vibrant community. I did all kinds of cool things. I was volunteer at the, on the board with the Silomar. I was part of the bigger organization. It was all cool. And I showed up and spread my, my details of how great I was on the table. So confident, determined, not even determined, just confident. I had this one in the bag. So I left the room, and then they do their little powwow thing, right? And then they call you back in, and they let you know how it goes. So I left the room, and out there I go, and, and I'm sitting out there, and it's like 10 minutes pass, then 20, then 25. And I went, oh, no, they're not going to give me my ordination. Who talks in a room alone that long if they're going to pass you? I was devastated already, but sure enough, I walk in after they call me in, and they break the news. I'm like, holy cow. So whatever, they say, you know what? We've decided not to ordain you because we really feel that you need to work on authenticity. And I'm like, me? Authenticity? Are you kidding me? And then they said, you know, and we think you need to do some shadow work. I'm like, WTF, you've got to be kidding me. I didn't say that out loud. 
frick. But I was, no problem, I'll do the shadow work. And I left there and I returned to my peers and I said, can you believe it? They didn't pass me, I was stunned. What happened in there? What happened in there? So shame. Shame is the fear of disconnection. Is there something about me that if other people know it or see it, I won't be worthy of connection? Brene Brown discovered that there are basically two types of people. She decided that there are people who are, have worthiness, they're wholehearted people. They're people who have a strong sense of love and belonging and believe that they are worthy of love and that belonging. And then on the other side, there are people who really struggle. They really, really struggle for it. And they believe that they're not worthy of love and belonging. Feelings like, I'm not good enough. And perhaps even self-loathing. And as she dug deeper into her uncovery of shame, as she discovered this studying vulnerability, these wholehearted people that she studied had three basic characteristics, and one of which was courage. Now, courage, it comes from a Latin word, the root word being cur, which means heart. That they tell the story of who they are with their whole heart. They have the courage to be imperfect. The other thing that these wholehearted people had was compassion to be kind with themselves first, so that then they could be kind with others. And lastly, they had a sense of connection. Well, of course they connected. If they're authentic and being real, they were easy to connect with. They were willing to let go of what they should be and were willing to just show up as who they were. What I know now, what happened in that ordination interview, is that they were led to see through me. They were guided to provide me with a deep and lasting lesson. And that I think five years ago, I had no idea, and only now I'm placing the dots together. For five years, I've been asking, what was that about? I'm ordained, by the way. I forgot to tell that part. Let the morning crew know. <laughs> but I'm so clever, you know? I may look courageous on the outside. I'm really good at that. I participate in high-risk sports. I ski. I run while texting. I started a ministry on a little island that I had never heard of before. I aired a TV show, I edited a magazine, I did all these things. But what that panel knew or saw through me was that unauthentic front. It looked like authenticity, but deep down they were right. It wasn't. Underneath all my confidence was something else, and I did need it to do shadow work, to reveal myself. I needed to be willing to let go of who I thought I should be, the perfect minister, right? 
and what was uncovered in that five-day program at the treatment center a year or so later is all part of the dots coming together. And I'm letting you know that underneath it all, underneath all that confidence, still is a deep and painful self-loathing. That even as I stand here before you now, that if only you knew how horrible a person I believe myself to be, I would think you wouldn't love me. And so I put on a front and I look courageous. They saw through it. And when I was at the treatment center, they ripped it out of me. It's painful. And this shame motivates my every day and my every move. What Brene Brown discovered is that unless you're a sociopath, everyone has degrees of this. Everyone has feelings of worthlessness. So if you think you don't, you're a sociopath. <laughs> Exit is out the back door. <laughs> so what do we do about it, right? Here we are in this room together. We all think we're worthless. Well, we numb out. We go in debt. We're obese. We're addicted. We're medicated. And the most numb adult cohort in North America, in the history of North America, we're terrified, all of us. But we can't se selectively numb out this fear and grief like we so hard try and do. We can't numb it out, the disappointment, the vulnerability. We try. We have that gooey cinnamon bun in the frappe latte cafe, and then we call up our friend for a couple of glasses of wine after work. We try, but the problem is when we do that, we also numb everything. The joy, the gratitude, and the happiness, we numb that out too. Great, now what? How do we pass this one? How do, we, how do we move in this vulnerable world where we have to make vulnerable choices every day? You know, we might be a boss who has to fire somebody. Or we might be a, a parent who knows that their child is in drugs and addiction. Or, or, or somebody might have found out that I failed chemistry in grade 12. I did, by the way. So how do we do that? Well, you're here. I'm speaking to the choir. We find places like Centers for Spiritual Living, right? Intuitively, I knew that for me, the center that I wanted to build, and I'm sure that it's here and you know that, is a community of people who come together, supporting each other in love and light. It's a place where we can expose our real and true selves and experiment with being vulnerable, where we can pick up the pieces after we've melted on the floor, breathe it off and start over again, where we're connected, we feel a part of. And my every prayer every day is that the people that walk through the doors immediately feel lifted 
feel inspired by the light that was it, is within, always. I know that is my prayer. And I know too it's the prayer of Dr. Patrick Cameron and all the other ministers and practitioners at this center. And to feel loved and valued, how powerful is that? You know, when I walked through the doors first at the center in Kelowna, I wasn't unlike anybody else, and I, I challenged it. I was afraid, and they kept loving me no matter how I showed up, and it was so cool. So in this atmosphere, we can be seen, right? Really seen. We can develop the courage to be whole, bring us back to that wholeheartedness that Brene Brown talks to be. We can be vulnerable here in these rooms, because vulnerability is the core of shame and fear. It's how we get to it. And it is the birthplace of joy, creativity, belonging, and love. Vulnerability is absolutely essential to wholehearted living. So when I first walked through these doors, like I told you, I was a tough cookie. I shaved my head. They still liked me. In fact, nobody even said anything. I tried everything. I painted a big sunflower on the hood of my K car. No comments. Then I wore my dad's clothes one Sunday. Still nothing said. It was like, pfft, I couldn't get a rise out of anybody. They just kept accepting me the way I was. But over the course of eight years of classes, the layers started to peel away. And I started to learn that there's one life. And that life is perfect. And that life is my life now. Back then, my life was falling apart. I was recently separate, separated for the second time. Vulnerability, there's been three times, so just so you know. But at that time, it was the second time, and I was already ashamed of two times. And my boys were only seven, 12, and 14, and they decided to all move to their dads. I'd been an at-home mom the whole time, so there I was alone. No kids, no career. I didn't know who I was or where I was going, but I had one thing. I knew there was a power greater than me. And there was this shaft of light that was like a, like a rope that I held on to. I held on to that so strongly. And it was the only thing that carried me through the fear and the pain and the grief was knowing that there was a power greater than I am. And it's doing its work through my life and it is good. I had to believe it because there was nothing left. And I walked through the valley of darkness. I continued to go to class and I continued to believe and it was a long and hard journey. But a year later, I found myself from Kelowna to Quadra Island, and my kids began to return one at a time. And when everything was stripped away from me, the truth revealed itself, and before I knew it, I had all my boys back in my home. So, in that time, I opened the doors to ministry. And that itself was a terrifying journey. It began with six chairs, and I spread them out. And there were times that it was just me and my son in the room, 
but I held fast again to that light. And I was doing what I would believed was my work. I had a song, Use Me. Do you know that song, Use Me? And I used to just sing it over and over again, just use me. That's all I could muster, you know? And it carried me through the beginning days of that ministry. And so I invite you to do the same, you know? What are you beginning? What are your journey that you're stepping into? I invite you to lean into the discomfort of it and do the work. Fully embrace your vulnerability because what makes, you, what makes you vulnerable makes you beautiful. It's not comfortable, but it's necessary. And love with your whole heart. Be the first one to say, I love you. Do something when there's no guarantees. Be willing to breathe through and wait for the answers of those questions that you are waiting for to be answered and just know. Be willing to invest in a relationship that may or may not work out. Let yourself be seen, deeply, vulnerably seen, and practice gratitude and lean into joy even in moments of terror. And believe I am enough. To feel this vulnerable is to be fully alive. And I want you to know that you're imperfect, just like me. And you're hardwired to struggle. This human journey is tough, right? Right? Just me? (laughs) Some of it's great too. I haven't got there because Even though at times it's tough, what we always need to know, and I want you to know today, is that you're worthy of love and you're worthy of belonging all the time. Not just when it's great, but when you're a mess on the floor and you're trying to pick up all the pieces, you're still worthy of love and worthy of belonging. I want you to also know that even though I haven't fully met you, that I already love you. I believe you're perfect and whole just the way you are. You're beautiful people here in Edmonton and beautiful guests for me to come and speak and so willing to clap at the beginning. Of course I love you. You can clap at the end too. I'm not done yet. (laughs) And I'm just, it is such a grateful opportunity for Dr. Patrick to give us the opportunity to come here in Edmonton and share with you. So I bless you, and I want to just end with a quote from Theodore Roosevelt that Brene Brown shared. It goes like this. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer's deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error or shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, 
who at best knows at the end of the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who never know victory nor defeat. Thank you. Namaste. Thank you.